Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Uh, 35 of Acts 15. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I'd like to know who those many, those many others were. And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, literally withdrew from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, last week we spent our whole time on uh, Acts 15, the contention about circumcision. And uh, I hope uh, the session wasn't too heavy for you, but I hope it was challenging. Now, tonight, uh, we want to sort of touch on the high spots of Paul's second missionary journey. And his second missionary journey, if you're taking down, down notes, covers from Acts chapter 15, Acts 15, right through to the uh, verse 23 of Acts 18. So his second missionary journey covers Acts 15, verse 36, uh, through Acts 16, Acts 17, and then Acts 18, verses 1 through to 23. All right, now let's just look at the overhead here on the map here, just to sort of give us an idea uh, where Paul went this time. And uh, we talk about these things probably pretty lightly, but, uh, you know, we think of taking a missionary journey, you get in a jumbo jet, and off you go. But uh, Paul didn't have a jumbo jet, Maybe a few camels, a few donkeys, uh, a lot of hoofing, hoofing it around. Uh, so they're pretty tough missionary journeys these guys went through, and we can just enjoy looking at the map. But uh, so, so we see that Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch at their home church here, and now they move out, and we find that they go to uh, Derby and Lystra, through to Iconium, right through to Troas here, then way up to Philippi. Uh, and then Thessalonica and Berea, and way down to Athens and Corinth, and then uh, has a quick stop over at Ephesus, and then gets back to the, the, uh, uh, the home church, Antioch, the great missionary church. So it just gives you an idea, you know, of all the miles and the different cultures and the whole Asian uh, situation there uh, that Paul went into. And, uh, he certainly didn't have the uh, type of transport that we have today. How many, you know, when people say to me that uh, uh, Paul uh, had a thorn in the flesh and his thorn in the flesh was blindness and he had pus running from his eyes, he's a remarkable man to write all these epistles and to do all this traveling with pus in his eyes and he's half blind. How many know that when Jesus healed him of blindness after the Damascus Road experience, he was healed? Amen. Okay? It says, great scales fell from his eyes, not great pus. So we'll give the pus a pass, okay? <laughs> yeah, I speak that by permission, not by revelation, okay? 
All right, so that gives us an idea of Paul's second missionary journey and the tremendous mileage he covered and everything like that. Now, what I want to put on the overhead is the outline that I showed you a number of uh, weeks back. And I just simply, because we've, uh, we want to sort of finish uh, this uh, term on this book without exhausting it, I want to touch on just some of the high spots that we have as Paul works through from Antioch right through to Ephesus and then on his return. Now, I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is sort of touch on just uh, one, two, three, right through to nine here and uh, touch on what I feel is the major lesson in each of these places that Paul uh, goes to. So the first uh, situation we have here is that uh, Paul and Barnabas are back at Antioch and they've been there some time now and preaching and teaching the word of the Lord along with a lot of other ministries showing what a great uh, church Antioch was and then uh, later on Paul felt in his heart and said to Barnabas look I believe we should go back uh, where we went on our first missionary journey visit the churches just see how they're doing uh, apostolic ministry and uh, just uh, visit them preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing so now uh, the, uh, in, in, the, in the book of Acts we find there are a number of apostolic teams. You very, very seldom uh, see a ministry on his own. Uh, Philip is on his own, though we have Philip's wife and four daughters that prophesied. But generally speaking, there were apostolic teams. There was a group of ministries, and uh, as we have often said, no one ministry can meet everybody's need. And so God has set in the church a variety of ministries, and I'm glad for that, aren't you? Uh, I'm glad you don't have to live on Kevin Connor 52 weeks in a year or anyone else. We have a variety of ministries, a variety of food, uh, preachers and teachers and so forth. And uh, God's made it that way because uh, no, one, no one ministry can disciple anybody to perfection. We need uh, the whole ministries. So uh, the expositors are very divided on this because Barnabas said, Okay, Paul, I'm all with you. Let's take uh, John Mark with us. And uh, Paul said, nothing doing. And so it must have been a pretty heavy thing. And this really encourages me. There was contention between Barnabas and Paul, showing that they weren't perfect. How many are glad for those little bits in the book of Acts where they had no small dissension and disputation, so they had a big one, and they had a contention here. Uh, but the remarkable thing here is in the book of Acts, uh, the church didn't divide. They didn't start a... Uh, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral or St. Barnabas Cathedral. They didn't start different churches here. They maintained the body and said, okay, we'll just have to agree to disagree. And so uh, they split the scene there. So Barnabas took Mark uh, with him uh, on his journey and Paul chose Silas. It's interesting to note here that Silas is a prophet. So Paul, an apostle, Silas a prophet. So the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So uh, the, the, the brethren recommended them to the grace of God. Now let me ask you a question. How many believe that uh, Barnabas was right? Hands up. How many believe Paul was right? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? Hands up. How many are frightened of getting caught? Hands up. How many lying spirits are not telling me the truth tonight? Okay, in my uh, understanding of this, I believe they were both right. That is a wonderful answer, isn't it? They were both right and they were both wrong. Now, we haven't got time to digress on too much of these things on any of these sections here, 
But uh, what you find is, uh, and th this is my opinion, and so you can read the commentaries on this, they're very divided on it. Some just really say Paul was just a legalistic, hard man, just dynamite, you couldn't get on with him, it's just an ugly Jew with bow legs, history tells us. Uh, and everything like that and you know but Barnabas was the son of consolation now this is what I understand because as we move in Acts chapter 16 I'm going to say something that I believe happened here so I believe uh, because of what happened in the first missionary journey when the uh, when the going got tough the language there and King James doesn't bring it up very clear but when Mark uh, went uh, left them he literally withdrew from the apostolic team and where did he go back he went back to Jerusalem back to mum so he literally withdrew from the missionary thing and what I understand here is that things were getting pretty tough and it would be pretty tough on these journeys here so he just withdrew from there and went back to mum uh, he's still tied to his mother's apron strings and, uh, and Barnabas, of course, is his, I think is his nephew, his uncle, or some relative. I never could get the family tree sorted out. Uh, and so there's a sort of a sympathy there. Now, they've been on these churches, they've all been founded, and Paul says, look, I had Mark once, I'm not going to go through the thing again, I don't feel he's ready. And so the contention was pretty hot, you know, and I'm sure Barnabas says to Paul, you're just legalistic, hard old man. I don't like you, <laughs> you know, or whatever they said in that contention, the Bible doesn't tell us. So what eventually happened is Barnabas was able to work with Mark on the trip that he went. And later on, quite a number of years later, Paul wrote, and I'll just give you the reference if I've got it here, uh, 2 Timothy 4, then Colossians 4, 10, yeah, Colossians 4.10, 2 Timothy 4.11, I think it is. Paul said, bring Mark with, with you because he is profitable now to me in the ministry. But it had taken years, so what I find, and I find this in churches, that people say, well, if you can't receive help in uh, Waverly Christian Fellowship, maybe there's another church that can help you. We don't have all the answers, and sometimes people come and we do have answers. So the body of Christ, we've got to have a big, vast vision of the body of Christ that no one church has at all. So uh, Barnabas, I believe, uh, worked on Mark, and in due time, Paul said he's profitable with me for the ministry. Now, so that's why I say I believe they were both right, they were both wrong, and God allowed a few years to work things out. Now go to Acts chapter 16. So they've left Antioch and they go through Syria and Cilicia and now they move down to Lystra. Okay, so number two, he said the main point there is that some ministries can help uh, Marx, John Marx, and some ministries can't. We have to recognize that and agree to disagree and, and not divide the church over it even though we may be, be divided over it. Uh, Paul here takes Silas with him, so there's uh, apostolic and prophetic ministry. Now number two, the second thing here, they move into Lystra, and this is Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through to 5. Now listen to uh, some of the main thoughts here. He came to Derby in Lystra, and there was a certain disciple there uh, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, 
We asked questions here last uh, session. We looked at the whole Acts 15 thing here and saw that circumcision was no longer valid from a religious point of view or any other point of view here, and yet Paul seems to violate something here. Now, let me give you my opinion on this one here. Paul comes to the church now at Lystra and Derby, so that's where they went on their first missionary journey. And I believe that Timothy was actually a... Uh, convert uh, as a result of Paul's stoning in that city and just it's almost like this uh, Saul sort of became a seed convert from Stephen's stoning because he was holding the young man's clothes and Timothy sort of becomes a seed convert out of Paul's stoning and seeing him raised from the dead because when Paul writes to him in Timothy he says he says um, let me just uh, quote it uh, rather than try and remember it. Um, you can, if you want the scripture, it's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, or is it 1 Timothy? It's in one of the epistles, anyway, that Paul writes to Timothy. He says, you know the suffering I went through at Lystra and the stoning and everything like that. And... Uh, Yes, uh, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So when Paul writes to his son in the faith years later, he says, you know, you've seen my life, you've seen the persecutions I've been. Now... When Paul writes to Timothy and says, my beloved son in the faith, this is my own personal opinion, and I think it could be right, I believe that Timothy actually replaced Mark in Paul's life. And that had Mark been willing to stick to the job there on the first missionary journey, I believe Mark could have been Paul's sort of son in the faith there, because later on Timothy is his son in the faith and Timothy sticks with Paul through all this missionary journey right through a lot of these areas and Paul sends Timothy to Corinth and Philipp uh, Philippi and Thessalonica uh, Timothy's in jail sometime and when you go through the Timothy epistles it just seems that Timothy replaces uh, John Mark and uh, John could have had that uh, privilege of that father-son relationship all right, now, a couple of thoughts about Timothy. You'll notice that uh, he is a disciple and he's well reported of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. So he's a committed person in a local church. And so there must have been some, I believe, witness of the Spirit that when Paul gets to Derby and Lystra with Silas and uh, sees this young man, just a click in the Spirit and said, Look, I'd like to have that young man come with me. Now, Timothy about this time is 17 to 20 years of age. Uh, when, you, when Paul writes to him in the Timothy epistles later on, uh, he's about 37 to 40 years of age. And I know in Timothy it says, let no man despise thy youth. And it makes a good text for a youth meeting. But people were counted a youth up to 37 to 40 years of age in those days. So how many are 40 tonight? You're just young. You're just a youth. So I know it makes a good youth mean let no man despise thy youth. He's not a youth with a Jesus, his Lord t-shirt. Or anything like that. 
being facetious. Now, how would you answer this? So, uh, witness of the Spirit, that Timothy is willing to go with Paul, and he sticks with him. He's done, he never backs out. Never backs out like John Mark did. And uh, so, how would you answer a question like this? Why did Paul, who didn't believe in circumcision, now turn around and say, uh, Timothy, I want you to be circumcised? And, uh, you know, just being very honest here, it was probably an embarrassing thing for a kid, you know, 17 to 20 years of age, all up when you're a little baby, eight days old, and you don't know a thing, you don't know which end's the middle. But, you know, he's a young man, 17 to 20 years of age, and uh, uh, he was willing to submit to that right. Uh, he could have argued with Paul, hey, Paul, don't you remember what happened in Acts 15? You don't believe in circumcision. How many understand why Paul did this? Here's the answer, John. Right. Uh, that's, that's the answer. See, here's the, here's the wonderful thing about Timothy. Timothy's mother is a, a Jewess, so he, he'll be able to minister in the synagogues with Paul without conflict, but his father is a Greek, a Gentile, and so bringing together in Timothy Jew and Gentile, a Jewish mother and a Greek father, he would reach. So Paul did that now. How do you answer this one? That later on when Paul picks up Titus, uh, and this is found in Galatians, of course, the big issue there, that uh, the Judaizing teachers wanted Paul to circumcise Titus, and he withstood them. He said, nothing doing. So, you know, when Timothy and Titus, who received the pastoral epistles, I wonder if those young men ever got together and, you know, sort of talked, how you doing, Titus? Pretty good, Tim. How you doing? What do you think about this Apostle Paul guy? You know, I mean, we're both his sons in the faith. And uh, when, when, when you're asked to go on the missionary journey, he puts you through that embarrassing rite that he doesn't even believe in and gets you circumcised. And Titus laughs and says, you poor guy, I'm glad it was you and not me. And Timothy says, well, Titus, why did he do it to you? You know, why? Why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, because I believe this was the real reason. And uh, the answer has already been given. But 1 uh, uh, Corinthians 9, I believe, is the answer. Let's uh, look at verse 20, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 20 and this was a principle of Paul so he says unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews so I believe he allowed uh, Timothy and recommended him to be circumcised in order to gain the Jews not because he believed that the rite had any religious significance or anything like that or was necessary for salvation. But unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law uh, to them that are without the law the Gentiles as without law but so he doesn't get into uh, antinomianism or lawlessness in parentheses he said being not without law to God but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without the Lord. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker there with you. So I believe that was a principle, and I see that when Paul took Timothy, he thought, okay, he's got a Jewish mother, Gentile father, and because, uh, as we saw 
a couple of sessions back, Paul is going to the synagogues first, to the Jew first in every synagogue, felt it was wise, though the right didn't mean a thing. And I'm sure Paul said to Timothy, look, I don't believe in circumcision, it doesn't mean a thing, but we'll become all things uh, to all men, to the Jew we'll become as a Jew, to those under the law, if we might save some. But it doesn't mean a thing. But when the issue got really hot later on, he said to Titus, Nothing doing, Titus. I did it to Timothy, but it didn't work. These Judaizing bunch, they're going around messing up all the Galatian churches, telling everybody to be circumcised. So I'm not going to give on on this because even if I did have you circumcised, Timothy, they're still not going to believe. They've proved that. I've given them a few years. So that's how I understand that. All right, so I believe that's the main lesson there. Now we move way down to Troas. Troas. Now, when we get uh, Troas, uh, we, uh, uh, verses 16 through, 6 through to 11 here, uh, very interesting thing. Let's look at verse 6. And you see, unless Paul and Silas, as an apostle and prophet here, are really sensitive to the Spirit, uh, I don't know how they would have answered this, same as I wouldn't know how to answer it unless you get the whole picture now. Uh, or we'll pick up in verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily. So uh, it was a good increase in the church, establishing the faith, the faith once delivered the saints. Now, in verse 6, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, so you just think of the map that we've had there, and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. You see, that's one of the most peculiar expressions in the book of Acts. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, you know, unless Paul was really sensitive and knew the mind of the Spirit, what would you do? What would I do if, if I had such a strong impression? You're not to preach the word in Asia. Oh, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said, go into the gospel, uh, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to preach the word everywhere. That's, that's the devil. Because I must have been sensitive enough to recognize, wow, that's the Holy Spirit. And then verse 7, again, is another uh, sort of frustrating thing. After they were come to Mysia or Mysia, they essayed, they attempted, they really tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. And the whole, the whole thought there is the Spirit hindered them. So you, ju you just think of them on the journey here. They've gone from Antioch and they've been through the Durban Lystra now. They've picked up, uh, uh, picked up uh, Timothy here, I personally believe, to replace John Mark. And now they've gone right through to Troas. And here they're wanting to go into Bithynia. They're wanting to go into uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Asia here. And just think Asia, Bithynia, and remember later on we've got the churches in Asia, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, uh, and Smyrna, the churches in the book of Revelation there. And Paul is here at Troas, and he, uh, he's forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now I believe the whole point is there, and the same as when they tried to get up here and essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit actually hindered them. He blocked them. Now, they could have been frustrated, but I believe the whole lesson is this, that God has a time for every city. The Holy Spirit knows when people are ready to receive the gospel. It's the same with nations. The Holy Spirit knows when nations are ready to receive the gospel. And uh, I think it's Ralph Mahoney that we were talking about this situation, like the, the, the Jew-Arab situation when we were in the Middle East. There were millions of dollars spent... Uh, on, on, on the Jewish situation, trying to get a, convert, a Jew converted, 
Uh, and God at the moment is not moving there. Very few Jews, if any, in the Middle East because it's against the law to preach. But God is moving upon the Arabs. So it's harvest time there. So as Ralph said to me, why spend the millions of dollars where there is no real harvest field and here's, here's a harvest field over there that's crying out for reapers. Huh? And, uh, and sometimes uh, parachurch groups, missionary groups, church groups spend millions of dollars on a mission field that is not ready yet. Wasting millions of dollars and yet a country like Africa, Indonesia, uh, some of these nations that are wide open and it's harvest time there, they're desperately crying out for money that's being wasted on a field that's not ready yet. And so the Holy Spirit knew. He knew that on the third missionary journey, or coming here at the close, Paul just sort of had a quick stop over at Ephesus and seeded something there that eventually Ephesus was going to open up this whole area of Asia. But it wasn't time yet. So sometimes we try and force these things. So principally we say, yeah, we're to preach the word everywhere, but God knows whether people's hearts are ready, whether cities are ready or not. And so it wasn't his time yet. And so they were forbidden. The Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go into Asia. And he frustrated them in Bithynia. So here we are in Troas. Now what happens? Verse uh, 8. And they passing down by uh, Mysia came down to Troas. Okay, so sorry, we're back up here. And then they come down to Troas. Now, as he's in Troas, what, what happens here? And here is the beginning of something here. Uh, in verse 8, uh, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. Okay, so here we come to this. Uh, they're at Troas, and I'm sure Paul and Silas and Timothy, three in this apostolic team, just waiting on the Lord, say, okay, Lord, why have you forbidden us to preach the word in Asia? Why have you frustrated us and hindered us getting into Bithynia? Okay, what's, what are we doing here? So they're just holding still. And as they're waiting there, the Lord gives Paul uh, a vision in the night, and he sees this man of uh, Macedonia. Okay, so here's Macedonia here, sees his man of Macedonia, and praying, come over and help us. And so verse 10, here's the thing. And after he'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord has called us for the priest of the gospel to them. Oh, okay, Lord, Asia's not ready yet. Bithynia is not ready yet. Macedonia is now. You note the good churches here. Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, uh, in the Macedonian era, and you just, what, see, if we were doing this properly, you'd sort of have to superimpose the epistles of uh, Thessalonians, uh, 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 the epistles to the Thessalonians, the Philippian epistle, you'd sort of have to superimpose them into the situation here, because a lot of the language that's not used here is sort of woven throughout the epistle, as Paul says, when I came. All right, so off they, they loose from Troas, and they came straight to Samothrace in the next day to, to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony and we were in that city abiding certain days. I think he's just waiting on the Lord certain days. Okay Lord you've given us this vision Asia's out, Bithynia's out, they're not ready. We're here in Macedonia and the, uh, the chief city Philippi. 
So now the Sabbath day comes as you go on to verse 13. Uh, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Some of the expositors say that uh, because there was no synagogue apparently in this city of Philippi that, but there were some believing Jewesses, uh women there so they would go down by the river and have prayer and that this was done sort of in memory of Babylon uh, Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion and that down in the Babylonian captivity that the believing Jews who believed in the restoration they would go down to the river of Babylon and there would they, they would have prayer reading of the scriptures when they would remember Zion say Lord here we are in Babylon Babylonian captivity by the river Euphrates the river, a river of Babylon and we remember Zion, we remember Jerusalem. And so uh, some of the exposed say that this was what was going on in memory of that there in a Gentile city. Now, the beautiful thing here is that in Philippi, instead of the Lord sending along a man, he sends along a woman. And I uh, wish I could sort of put the map on at the same time. So a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Now, now look at the connection here because the head of the church is, how many believe the head of the church is running this whole business here? He said, I'll build my church and this. So now, here they are in Philippi, but as they go down to the riverside and uh, in the prayer meeting there, we have a woman by the name of Lydia, and she's a businesswoman, and where's she from? She's from the city of Thyatira, if you can see it up here. She's from Asia. But here she is, way up in Macedonia on business, Philippi. And the Lord's going to touch her heart. And so the language is beautiful. Verse 14, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. So though he's frustrated there, it's like the Lord says, look Paul, just hold it. I have just one contact from the city of Thyatira in Asia uh, up in Philippi and I want you to go there and in due time you'll go around there. How many are glad the Lord builds his church? So she worshipped God and she heard us whose heart the Lord opened. So it was an open heart and an open door. And when she responded to the word of the Lord, she attended. She was baptized in her household. So she must have been there, but she's out from the city. But she has a business there, a household, and said, come into my house. So the open heart preceded the open house. Now, it's interesting that though Paul saw the man of Macedonia uh, here in the vision, everything he has to do with in Philippi has to do with women. A godly woman and a woman that's uh, a victim of Satan. So verse 16, uh, it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of python. That's pretty heavy. A, a spirit of div a divination, a fortune telling, a, a, a python spirit. And we all know what a dreadful creature is. A, a python spirit wraps itself around a person just crushing snake which kills its victim by the power of its crushing ability and I believe typical of that old serpent Satan spirit of python that satanic thing spirit of fortune telling and she's being used by her masters and uh, through soothsaying much gains by soothsaying now verse 17 the same followed Paul and us and cried saying these men are the servants of the most high God which show unto us the way of salvation and this she did many days now 
ask the question, why did Paul let this woman here now? He's met a godly woman, Lydia, and God has established the gospel there. Now there's this woman with a spirit of divination. Now in this case, she is not a willing victim. She's not like Simon the sorcerer or uh, Elamus the sorcerer who are Jewess and know and have willingly give themselves over to Satan into the sorcery business. She is a victim and needs deliverance. So why do you think Paul let this go on for many days? Now, if I was in that situation, you try to place yourself in that situation, and you hear this woman many days, these are the servants of the Most High God. They show unto us the way of salvation. Oh, that's a good testimony. Would you come to our next meeting and give a, give a testimony? I don't think Paul at the moment has realized what spirit is. But now in verse 18, I pick up, but Paul being grieved, that there's something wrong with this testimony. These are the servants of the Most High God. They're showing us the way of salvation. It sounds right, but it's right words coming from a wrong spirit. So he was grieved in his spirit, and, and finally I think he picked it up and turned and said to the spirit, and notice the language here, I, co I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and uh, he came out the same hour. There's a woman with a masculine spirit. He came out of her. That's an interesting thought there. Anyway, what was the end result? Paul, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and uh, beaten with stripes, put them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And I'm sure all of us have seen pictures of how they put you in the stocks there and not a very comfortable position. So in verse 25, what happens? At midnight, darkest hour of the night, didn't even have a hymn book, didn't even have an overhead projector, no piano, no orchestra, no guitars. I mean, just tell Paul and Silas prayed, and they actually sang a hymn. They sang psalms. They sang praises in the garden. I'm sure Paul and Silas, you know, Silas said, well, Come on, Paul, let's sing. No, I don't feel like singing. My back's sore. You have this vision about this man. We've had nothing but women down here. You land us in the jail, do people out of business, casting out devils is great. I mean, you know, first Asia, you say the Holy Spirit told you not to preach the word. Bithynia, we just get frustrated there. You get this vision about, you know, Paul, of you come on, let's sing praise to God, let's pray and sing praise. You know, well, it is midnight, you've got to respect people. You know, all the rest of the, the, uh, the occupants are asleep. And it's an ungodly hour to be singing praise at midnight. Anyway, they sang and prayed and the prisoners heard them. And of course, the prisoners in those days, you know, they didn't have television or phones or rubber mattresses and the people's rights, none of that in those days that our taxes pay for. Anyway, God so enjoyed the prayer and the praise, didn't even have a hymn book, no musical instruments, no beautiful lights, nothing, no flags, nothing. Prisons weren't quite like they are today. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and this was a very intelligent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, all the doors popped open and everybody's bands were loosed. I mean, very intelligent. It's as intelligent an earthquake as it was when Jesus hung on the cross 
and there was a big earthquake and it opened the, the graves of some of the saints N none of the baddies, none of the sinners, just the goodies no resurrection yet but just a very intelligent earthquake opening up some of the saints graves I wonder if that will happen at the second coming that just the graves of the saints will open and people will go to visit the graveyard and think wow that one's open they're closed that one's open they're closed oh they were Christians could be a very interesting thing couldn't it and the keeper of the prison of course as you know it was on pain of death he drew out his sword and he's about to kill himself thinking all oh, the prisoners are gone and Paul cried with a loud voice don't do yourself any harm look we're all here we're just about to sing John Wesley's hymn my chains fell off my heart was free I rose went forth and followed thee third verse that's everybody's stat you know I like it don't you so he called for a light and sprang in and he fell down before Paul and Silas and the apostle and prophet and said sirs what must I do to be saved saved from what the earthquake no 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 and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house and so midnight hour they had a baptismal service he, he looked after their stripes and notice the verse 31 and verse 34 they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house household salvation and in verse 34 when he had brought them into his house he set meat before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house now did he believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or did he believe in God so well maybe this was the man of Macedonia said come over and help us but we didn't know he was a jailer anyway so quite an interesting thing now last point here as our time is almost up and we didn't quite get through go down to the section here and here's a good question to ask so uh, in the morning the magistrate sent the surgeon said you better let those men go and uh, the keeper of the prison said this to Paul so here they are in prison the magistrates have sent to let you go now depart and go in peace now why do you think Paul did what he did or said what he said in verse 37 Paul said unto them they've beaten us openly uncondemned and we're Romans they've cast us into prison and now they're gonna just tell us to leave privately and get out of the city no let them come and fetch us themselves now why do you think Paul's doing that now it's a little bit different to the men in the fiery furnace because I would have been tempted you know when Nebuchadnezzar threw me into the fire with a couple of buddies and he said uh, there's three men in there but there's a fourth one like the son of God so he said come forth he told him to come out I would have felt being an Australian uh, Daniel Connor or whoever who, uh, Shadrach whoever it was Shadrach Connor or Abednego Bendigo Connor come and get me Neb ha 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 I would love to have done that because I have a mischievous spirit and I don't want it cast out I don't want deliverance but here's Paul doing that come to come and get us himself so beaten us we're Roman citizens and come and get us not going to treat us like this what do you think it is so the sergeants went back and Tom said hey these people are Romans they got Roman they got dual citizenship they got two passports <laughs> and they came and besought them please please we are really sorry about this it was a bad mistake 
we'd like you to leave the city. And no fuss. Don't see the newspaper or the medias or the television, anything. Just let's, you know. Here's a love offering. <laughs> so they went out of the prison and I ended up in the house of Lydia. Okay, my thought, why do you think he did that? As you study Paul's writings, Paul follows a principle. The whole thing is, uh, render to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God. Now when Paul was beaten by the Jews, and put into prison and everything like that, as a Jew, he had no court of appeal. So he never did it with the Jews. But because he had dual citizenship, a Roman citizenship, he could appeal to Romans and get Roman justice. He never got Jew Jewish justice. So the whole lesson on this, and I have to quit on this. I, uh, some pe sometimes people say to me, well, should I go to law? Should I go to court? Should I do this? Should I go to the government? Should I? I will get out of Caesar all I scripturally can and use it for the kingdom. But if I'm in a situation like I, if I was under communism, you have no court appeal there. But I'm not under, I'm not in Russia, I'm not under communism. Under democracy, I do have some civilian rights. And if I can use them for the kingdom, I'll do it. I believe that's the basic principle. Hope you've enjoyed almost the second missionary journey. Everybody said amen. Let's all stand. Father, we just thank you once again for the exciting events that we consider in Paul and Silas and Timothy's life and all you did in the early church. And Lord, we thank you that the book of Acts doesn't have an amen written to it because you are still fulfilling these things and the various nations of the earth as you will continue to building your church. And Lord, we know that when we stand before you, we'll have untold millions of stories like this from the redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, tribe and nation. Bless your word to our hearts, Father. May our spirits feed upon it. Let your blessing be upon us now as we separate until we gather again in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.